0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to, if you have one, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, for our Old Testament Scripture reading. I think it's a relevant background passage to our sermon text in Matthew this morning is here, the Lord Himself declares that He comes to deliver the anxious of heart by giving them the blessings of the heavenly kingdom. Isaiah chapter 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sherwin, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk along the way, and even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. and Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. We'll give our attention this morning to verses 25 to 34, but you'll notice here that beginning in verse 35, Jesus makes this statement saying, therefore, in other words, he is continuing the very things that we began to look at last week as he speaks of uh, his people having a heavenly mindedness uh, whereby we uh, set our affections not on treasures below but on the treasures to be found in heaven itself. So let's begin by reading in verse 19. We'll read through the end of the chapter, but our sermon text will focus on verses 25 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, on account of these things, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more? This is God's Word. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we submit to Your Word and You speak to us. We pray uh, that Your Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts to understand what is being said, that we, uh, by the power of Your Spirit, might be diligent to heed those promises You give uh, as well as the exhortations that You command. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Certainly seems like our Savior is trying to tell us something, as we see on, I think I counted five or six different ac- occasions in this brief passage. Jesus' repeated command do not be anxious. You know, as we began looking at this particular section last week, and last week as we considered Jesus' own exhortation not to pursue those earthly things, speaking of the incapability one has the, uh, uh, to, to serve both God and earthly possessions, it is one or the other. And I think many of us perhaps uh, could have walked away thinking that that was perhaps only a message for the wealthy. But as Jesus continues His teaching on heavenly-mindedness, we are reminded in our passage this morning that covetousness is not a thing restricted by one's own tax bracket. Rather, we see that worldliness is a problem that is endemic to the whole human condition. Taken together, last week's passage and this morning's, we find that worldliness is Manifests itself in a number of ways. For some, it might be the pursuit of possessions and desires and earthly wants. And yet, what we find here is that worldliness is not simply found in the accumulation of toys and gadgets. Worldliness also expresses itself in other ways, particularly here in the anxiety we might have over basic needs, a problem that is common to both rich and poor alike. You see that Jesus begins this section by saying, for this reason or therefore, depending upon whatever translation you have, the point is here is that Jesus continues his instruction on heavenly mindedness to remind us that even the ways in which we are anxious might be symptomatic of a deeper problem that plagues our own sinful hearts. Perhaps our anxieties manifest where the treasures of our heart truly are found. This morning, our Savior calls us from fear to faith Leading us from crippling anxiety to childlike trust. And he does so by directing our thoughts to God's providential care for all his creation. There's two things I'd like us to consider this morning. First, I want us to consider the worries of men. You'll see that in verses 26 to 30. And then, secondly, we'll consider the kingdom of God in verses 31 to 34. So the worries of men. The kingdom of God. I think it's fascinating here how Jesus places uh, put uh, nails nails the finger on the head. No, I've I just totally mixed metaphors. He, he puts the nail on the head with the problem of worldliness, the crass materialism that plagues even our day and age. The problem with it is that it is too narrow minded. This might strike many, perhaps some at least, because I think so many around us consider Christianity to be the thing that is narrow-minded rather than the world around us. And yet, in Jesus' own words, we see here in this passage that the problem is not with the Christian faith. The problem is with those who think that this world is all that there is to be found. Jesus says very clearly, Is not life more than the sum of the things that we pursue, such as food and drink and clothing? Against kind of the materialistic spirit of the age, which makes the pursuit of needs and desires and pleasures and stuff, against all those things, our Savior reminds us that the abundance of one's life does not consist in how many toys He has. Jesus is very clear here. Do not be anxious about these things because your life is of greater value than all of these things. Your life is more than simply what to eat and what to drink and what to wear. And yet, were we to turn on the television or drive down uh, the highway and look at the billboards and hear the radio advertisements or watch TV commercials, you would think the opposite is the case. Because isn't it all that is being uh, pushed uh, towards our senses A concern for only worldly things, the things of what we should eat, the things that we should drive, the new clothes and fashions and fads that we should take heed of and wear. And here, Jesus says unequivocally, your life is more than those things. Human life is not less than food and drink. Jesus is not saying that food and drink are irrelevant or unimportant, But Jesus is setting our sights higher to remind us that the life consists in more than food and drink. We eat to live, but we do not, or should not live to eat. It is a basic necessity, of course, food and drink. Uh, Can't last more than a week without water. Be pretty miserable never being able to eat again and uh, unless you had supplement, uh, supplement your diet with some form of diets or pills or th- something like that, you would not last long without food. Jesus is not saying that food and drink are not important. What Jesus is getting at here is the anxieties that, that confound us that strangle us, that asphyxiate us as we worry about where we are going to find our next meal. And here our Savior calls our attention to the natural world around us to wean us off of those anxious thoughts. First consideration our Savior calls us to is found there in verses 26 and 27, as he says, consider the birds of the air. Look at them. God has created them for a purpose. The birds are not the product of random happenstance or just kind of the evolutionary nature of things. They've been created by God. They're superintended and cared for by God in such a way. God is not an absentee landlord who is inactive or distant from His creation. Consider the birds of the air. Jesus says, consider their actions. Or perhaps it might be better to say, consider their inactivity, their inaction. None of these birds work a nine to five. None of these birds have a retirement fund that they have to save up for. You know, every day... They are provided for. Of course, Jesus is not advocating uh, uh, laziness. That's not the point here. You think of what the psalmist says regarding the birds of the air and the rest of creation, that they all wait for you, O God, to give them their due food and season. You give it to them and they gather it up. You open your hand and they are satisfied with good. the creation is, you know... Considering the birds, they gather up food in the nest, but they don't have to toil for it. They're not laboring in the fields. Jesus is not advocating idleness and apathy, but rather what he is doing is he is admonishing a faithless fretting. Here our Savior is seeking to retune the heart to the song of heaven and the love of our heavenly Father. And he does so by what we would call making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Jesus says, look at the world around you. God provides for the birds of the heaven. Now let me ask you, who is of greater value? The beast of the field or the one who has been made in the image of God? And so if God cares for those things that are not made in His image, how much more would He care for those who are? That's the the thrust of Jesus' argument. Which is of greater value? Birds or men? This is, in fact, God's question to Job, as Job himself struggled with the goodness of God in the midst of real suffering. The Lord asks, Job, "Job, where were you when I spoke the worlds into being and laid the earth and its foundations? Job, let me ask you this, who is it that sends forth the sun and the rain to cover the earth every day and to nourish all of its inhabitants? Job, can you cause the rain to fall? Job, can you cause the fields to flourish? Job, can you bind the stars in the sky to keep them from falling? Job, hear me out. Can you hem in the sea to keep the waters from overtaking the earth? Tell me, Job. It's Job 38.41. Who is it that prepares nourishment for the ravens when its young cry out to God and wander about without food? The whole created order attests to the glory of God and His providential fatherly care for all his creation as he causes it to rain on both the just and the unjust alike how great is god's compassion that he cares even for those who hate him how much more will he care for those who love him what good can anxiety produce when we speak of the birds and the ravens toiling We could speak of humans laboring in the fields. That might at least produce something. But what good has anxiety ever done for anyone? Who here can go home and sit in their room and wring their hands and by fretting cause corn to rise up from the ground? Who here could go to their house and fret and struggle and lose sleep and see an abundance of harvest take fruit in their own backyard? Anxiety is useless. It cannot do anything. J.C. Ryle, in commenting on this passage, comments what a useless endeavor over anxiety is. Tomorrow carries its own troubles, though we might not yet see them. But even then, as the child's song goes, he's got the whole world in his hands. This is my Father's world. And he does all things well. Even in the midst of the flood, the Lord reigns. Here is one who will not allow a single hair to fall from our head apart from his gracious will and for his glorious purpose. Our Savior doesn't simply want us to consider the birds over our head. He wants us to consider the grass under our feet. See that here in verses 28-30. to 30? Again, drawing attention to the natural world. How beautiful it is to go on a hike here in Oregon to walk some of these trails and to see the, uh, the flowers and the foliage and all the green and all of its beauty And Jesus Himself says that not even Solomon decked out in all of his splendor is as beautiful as the flowers of the field. Here our Savior reminds us of the purpose and intent of God's creation. It is designed to direct our attention to the goodness and beauty of our Heavenly Father who has made these things. God clothes the lilies of the field better than Solomon clothed himself. And again, Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater if God will clothe the lilies of the field with such beauty, which is more valuable? The grass? The flowers? Or the hair on your head? look out at the grass, it's transient. It's fleeting. Look how green it is now. Wait till July comes. Or after months of no rain, it just withers. These things are so transient. And what a contrast they are with the human soul, which is of much greater value because on that soul bears the mark of one who has been made in the image of God. Be it grass or gold, they both have the same end. The gold will rust. The grass will wilt. So why put your hope in either one of these things? Our Savior continues to draw our attention to the things of eternity. The grass might be of greater beauty than glittering gold, yet it too will fade away and yet remember that you are of greater value than even the lilies of the field. Jesus hits the nail on the head there at the end of verse 30. When we find what the problem is, the problem is what little faith we have in our Father's tender care. Why is it that we fret and worry? It's because we do not think that God is a gracious God. We think that He is a God who does not care about His creation, who is perhaps absent or indifferent to the plight of His people, yet nothing could be further from the truth. So now our Savior turns our attention from the worries of men to those lasting things, the kingdom of God. You see that here in verses 31 and 34. Jesus gives yet another command. He gives it stated in the form of a negative. Do not be anxious. These various expressions of anxiety that plague our hearts, of the the worry over food and drink and clothes, they are symptoms of unbelief. Why is it that they we worry about those things? Jesus himself says, these are the things that the nations, the Gentiles, are consumed with. These are the things that, that all their sights, all of their focus, all their attention is bent on. I recently began reading Paul Johnson's uh, History of the, the United States. You read so many history books, be it of the US or ancient civilization, what is so often the discussion? The discussion of uh, the, the history of a particular people or the things that they are uh, concerned with. Obsessed with, it might be architectural achievements or art or food or com- commerce, wealth and flourishing, and yet all of those things are earth earthbound. And Jesus says that's all the nations are consumed with. It's all they're concerned with. They pursue these things. They have horse blinders on their eyes, yet rather than them being kind of a horizontal horse blinders, they're, they're vertical. They're unable to see what lies above them. Here, our Savior calls us to consider the history of heaven itself, to consider the God of glory and the redemption that is found in the death of His Son, and the blessings that are found in Him who died and was raised to life indestructible. Do not be anxious. That is what the nations do. We'll see later on in Matthew's Gospel as he tells the parable of the sower that. This is one of three things that will choke out the the effectiveness, the fruitfulness of the word in one's life. It's the cares of this world, not simply the uh, the delight for uh, pursuing pleasure, the actual needs, the the uh, being overrun with worry as to whether or not we will have enough food on the table tomorrow. Christ says, and no uncertain terms to His people. Do not be anxious. Such anxiety in this particular case is symptomatic of a lack of trust in the goodness of God. Consider the goodness of God. Well, Jesus doesn't simply leave it here in the negative. He says, alright, don't be anxious. Right? Don't think about the pink elephant in the room. What do we do? What's the alternative If we are not to be anxious, what should our hearts be focused on positively speaking? And we see that here in verse 33. If we are not to be anxious negatively speaking, positively speaking, we are to seek first the kingdom. Again, this is a question of priority. Jesus is not advocating for this kind of carefree uh, sort of folly where you're like, well, I'm not going to go to work today because I know the Lord will provide. We must take Jesus' own instruction here in light of the rest of Scripture, which is also breathed out by God Himself. You think of Proverbs' repeated warnings against sloth and laziness. Or Paul's own instruction to Timothy where he says that if anyone does not provide for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So Jesus is not saying, don't be worried, be happy, like the old Bobby McFerrin song, just go ahead and get yourself a a lawn chair, sit out and drink mojitos all day. It's not what Jesus is getting at. Rather, it's a question of priority. What are the things that should take top priority in our lives? The top priority is not the acquisition of food for the end of the day. What is it that Jesus already taught us to pray? The Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. This is a recognition for a real need, but there is a looking not to the things below, but to looking to our Father in heaven that He would provide for us with our daily bread. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. More important than what you'll eat today or what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, To make the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God your chief focus. What is it that Jesus says in John chapter 4? Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. The disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, Master, you surely must be hungry right now. Why don't you get something to eat? Jesus says, No. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. That is my food, that is my drink. Of course, we know elsewhere that Jesus, of course, does get hungry, and he does have, uh, as as being one made like we are, was one who grew hungry, even in his resurrected state. How interesting it is that at the end of John's gospel, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, he sees his disciples fishing. What's the question he asks them? He says, you guys got anything to eat? Food is good. Food is important, but food is not to be our ultimate aim in life. Rather, our chief end, our chief focus, is the pursuit of the righteousness of God and the kingdom that bestows that righteousness freely. Jesus is not advocating that we uh, simply don't work and just assume that uh, the you know if we you know we'll get food eventually. Don't worry about it. No, Jesus is getting at the problem of anxiety. Jesus is getting at the question of priority. Consider your ultimate ends. Where is your treasure to be found? Jesus is not saying that you are not to talk about your concerns with your Heavenly Father. There might be, there might come particular points in time where you don't know if you're gonna how you're gonna get food the next day. Perhaps you may have just lost a job. The crops that you were growing for the season, there was a bad flood or a drought, and now there's just not enough food to put on the table, and there are real concerns. What Jesus is calling for us to do is to appropriate those God-given means that our Father would provide for us in those times of trouble. You think of what Paul writes to the church of Philippi, be anxious for nothing, but just bottle it up and don't talk about it. It's not what he says. No, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, we are to entrust ourselves to our father's care. We are, when we are in times of need, to call upon our father and ask that he would provide. But we call upon him with thanksgiving, knowing that he will provide in due time. Peter writes the same thing. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He might exalt you at the proper time. We might ask, how is it that I humble myself under the mighty hand of God? Do I take all the burdens of this life on my shoulders and try to just deal with it on my own? No. Peter describes the manner and means by which we are to humble ourselves. And that is by casting all of our anxieties upon Him because He cares for us. And that is really the main point of this portion in the Sermon on the Mount. Our fathers care for us. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we really believe that our Father cares for us? Perhaps it might be useful to consider at least one other means by which God provides for the needs of His people. We we call it to the Lord. We pray to Him, as, as Paul calls us to do, knowing that He'll provide in His providence. But we remember that Christ has established a kingdom, and His kingdom visibly manifested on the earth is found in the church. And among the several offices and office bearers Christ has placed in His church to care for His people includes the office of the diaconate. It is a ministry of mercy intended to help the people of God in times of need. This is one of the ways in which God, our Heavenly Father, expresses care for His people by giving servants to His church to help us in those moments of crisis so that when trouble comes and we are found without food and drink, perhaps because we have lost our job or because there's been an unexpected bill that has popped up, you name it, There are provisions that Christ has made for his people to remind us of our Father's heavenly care. We should remember those things, and when we do so, when we consider the labors in this congregation of James and of Eric, we should be reminded of God's fatherly care for his own children in times of need. Christ has given us a kingdom And He's given us a government, and even the the offices of that government are designed to direct our thoughts to the goodness of our Father who governs His church. Just as the psalmist himself writes, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or His descendants breaking bread. And so our Savior calls upon us to prioritize the kingdom. And your Father will take care of all of those other basic needs. Notice the the, the response to this. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And what does Jesus say? And all these other things will be added unto you. Again, Jesus' point is not to say that food and drink aren't important. It's that there are things of greater importance. There are matters of greater import. Your life is... Is, consists in more than food and drink. You see, Lewis, when he gave a series of radio talks in the midst of uh, the Second World War, later putting these things to writing in his book, Mere Christianity, says this, he says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. C.S. Lewis was talking about a slightly different scenario, but the contents of what he's saying apply equally here. This is what Jesus is getting at. If you're simply seeking for the things of earth, you're not going to get it. Those things are transient, they'll fade away, they'll pass away. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and you make that your priority, all the other lesser things are going to be thrown in as well. Jesus is not talking about a brand new car, or steak dinners every night, or everybody to have a brand new PlayStation 5. Jesus is talking, however, about if you seek first the kingdom of God, He will provide you with all that you need. might not be as much as you want, but He will provide you with everything you need. All of these things will be added to you. Man needs to live by bread, but man does not live by bread alone. Because our life consists in more than the material things of this earth. You see, what our Savior is getting at is calling His church to cultivate a heavenly mindedness. Matthew Henry, in commenting on this particular portion of Scripture, says this, that there is scarcely any sin against which our Lord Jesus more warns His disciples than the matter of disquieting, distracting, and distrustful cares about the things of this life. Take no thought for your life, nor about the comforts of this life, but leave it to God to make it bitter or sweet as he pleases. How easy it is to let our hearts be overrun with thorns and thistles and the cares of this world. You think of uh, in Luke's gospel where Jesus is visiting the home of Mary and Martha. Martha's busy attending to making food preparations for every, everyone. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha gets very upset, very upset with Mary. For Mary not really seeming to be doing her job. And Jesus turns to Martha and he asks her, he says, Martha, Martha, he says, Are you you're worried? You're bothered about so many things. But there is only one thing that is necessary. What is that one thing? It is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to make Him our treasure, our chief end, and our exceedingly great reward. And when we begin to do this, and it's a process, when we learn to hand over our anxieties to the Lord and sit at the feet of our Savior, we will realize how much anxiety has gripped our lives. And we'll realize how fruitless anxiety truly is. That anxieties are symptomatic, at least here, of a lack of faith and earthly mindedness. So there's some practical considerations as I think we all wrestle with these types of anxieties. I'm not here to browbeat anybody with struggling with anxiety. Notice how Jesus speaks so tenderly and compassionately to those struggling with anxiety. Not to berate them but still to say what it is, he says, oh, you of little faith, do you not remember the goodness and care of your Father in heaven? So what should we do? How can we work towards weaning ourselves off of anxiety? There are two things I'd like us to consider in light of our Savior's teaching here. First, I would like us to consider God's providential care for all creation in the natural world. It's following Jesus' own initiative. In other words, when you get anxious, take a hike, literally. Go walk in a park and consider the fields, the field, the flowers of the field, the birds of the sky, and how God provides for all of them and recognize that God loves you even more than them. don't stop at this world. Consider not only the things of this earth, consider that of the world to come. And that is the second consideration. To consider God's special care not only for his creation in the natural world, but to consider his special care for his church in the heavenly kingdom. To practice the art of heavenly mindedness, the duty that is Uh, really should be the duty of every believer to make ourselves ready for heaven, to take the time to contemplate the promises of God, to train our hearts to be fixated on God's special care for His people and the various ways He tends to our needs and all that we need for life and for godliness. The call that Jesus gives to His people here is very simple. To trust in your Heavenly Father's care. O anxious heart, why do you doubt? Seek first God's kingdom, and He will provide for all the rest. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do confess how uh, easy it is for our hearts to be overcome by anxiety and fret and worry. Uh, We pray that uh, even in the midst of our unbelief, we, we want to believe We pray that you would help us in the midst of our unbelief and train us to see your goodness and your care for us. For those who are particularly beset with anxieties, we pray that uh, today through your word and and your providences this week, that you would in a special way show your special care and your love uh, towards your own, that we might wean ourselves off of worry and seek to trust and entrust ourselves to you more fully. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.